Hi, and welcome back to Gaze with Kids, the podcast. I'm Britt Smith, assistant editor for Gaze with Kids. This episode, our executive editor, David Dodge, will be chatting with author, teacher, and speaker, Chris Tompkins, about the ways we can help the kids in our lives learn how to be allies to the LGBTQ plus community. Chris's new book, which will make the perfect stocking stuffer for your straight friends and family, is called Raising LGBTQ Allies, A Parent's Guide to Changing the Messages from the Playground. By the way, this will be our last episode until the new year, so we hope you all have a very happy and restful holiday season. And we'd love to keep up with your wonderful family photos over the holidays, so make sure you tag us on social media at Gaze with Kids. And check out all our top articles of 2021 at gazewithkids.com. And now please enjoy David's chat with Chris Tompkins. Chris Tompkins, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me, David. It's good to be here. So um, why don't we actually just jump right into uh, the book that you've decided to write, uh, Raising LGBTQ Allies. Can you talk a little bit about um, your inspiration for writing the book? Yeah, yeah. I feel like the book decided to have me write it uh, because it really came from my own experience of my family. Um, I've been out all of my nieces and nephews' lives um, out of the closet. I live in Los Angeles. They live in Arizona. And so I was at a family function and my six-year-old nephew at the time asked me if the girl at our family function was my girlfriend, which led me down this whole kind of new journey of uncovering the nuances of familial homophobia. So that was really the impetus was his, was his question. Yes. Yeah, so you, you wrote a post for Gays With Kids, I think it was back in May. Um, how young is too young uh, to talk about uh, kids and sexual identity? Or we, yes. we featured your your, uh, your book in a post. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, you talk about the shock uh, that you went through when you realized that your nieces and nephews didn't know um, about uh, your sexual orientation. Yes. Um, so can you walk through a little bit of, uh, you know, how that kind of spurred you to try to do something about it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's a really great question because I realized there were kind of two two kind of focal points, you know, with his question is that I, I teach social emotional learning. So I work with kids and, and I'm also an uncle. So I have five nieces and nephews. And I've, I've realized in my time working with young people, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate, is that kids, they'll, they'll ask questions that catch us off guard. And I think that for me... I really didn't, up until that point, I didn't really think about the conversations that I really wanted to maybe have with my my brother and my sister and the other family members of my life. I have a, I have a big family, a lot of cousins with kids. And so it helped me to realize I have a role as, as an uncle to kind of help with my nieces and nephews, even though I, I live in another state. And so if I haven't brought home a partner, you know, visiting or if I'm single and not in a relationship, you know, where are they having these conversations? Um, so I really had to look at myself in a kind of in a different way, um, not just kind of Uncle Chris who comes to town and, you know, has fun. I also wanted to really instill in them a sense of of who I am as an authentic person, um, which I think that, you know, one of my messages from the book is that we teach, we're all teachers as parents, as caregivers, and we teach through our demonstration. And so what was I demonstrating up until, you know, that point? Um, and, and it really helped me to see kind of the nuances of just how the societal messages that we all absorb um, throughout, our, throughout our lives and how those really inform children's questions. 
So even my nephew asking me that question helped me to see the pervasiveness of heteronormativity, which a lot of kids just unknowingly are absorbed in just by virtue of being in a dominant culture. Absolutely. So in in October, we celebrate uh, National Coming Out Day. Um, and so it's a good opportunity for us to all kind of sit with um, the importance of coming out that, and, and the resonance that it still has on people, both to inspire other people to do the same, but also on, uh, you know, our colleagues and our family and our friends that, um, that you know, it's, it, it's such a big thing to be out and stay out. So I think it can be surprising, <laughs> like you're saying, like, even though you're living your life out and proud and yeah. not, not hidden at all, but that, uh, that there's extra steps that we need to take to help maybe those around us who think of themselves as right. allies integrate it more fully into their lives and into their families. Right. Um, so what was that kind of initial conversation that you had with your sister after you realized that um, she maybe hadn't been having uh, those sorts of conversations yeah. yet? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because I think what I found in my experience of talking with not just my sister, but a lot of people, friends of mine who have kids about the same age as, as my nephew at the time, and most of the parents that I spoke to were they maybe they thought about it, but they didn't know what to say, or they were kind of waiting for maybe um, them to get older. They thought they were too young. Um, six was was kind of too young, which really my whole point was that I was six when I knew that I was gay. And so I, I really believe that children and that's what I write about in my book is that, you know, children are learning about themselves, their gender identity, their sexual orientation at, at very young ages. And they may not consciously be aware of their identity, but they're still going through that natural, normal process of development. And so a good measure, and I, I, I've said this a lot, like just in the recent conversations that I've had, is that if children are young enough to ask questions, like when they're starting to ask those questions, that's when we're really able to have the conversations with them. So, you know, a lot of the pushback that I did receive from my, my family you know, was that, oh, they're too young to understand. And, you know, for me, that was really like mind blowing because I was like, well, understand what? And then I realized, and this is kind of what I talk about in my book, is that we have to kind of peel back the layers of the resistance to why we prevent. And, and this kind of speaks to like all conversations that we avoid having with children is like, what is my what is my apprehension of bringing this up with my child? And oftentimes it's because either I'm uncomfortable or I think that it's, it's, it's not a good conversation to bring up or there's something shameful or wrong about it. And so I don't want to talk to about it with my kid. I want to protect them from that. And so I realized that, and this is, again, one of the messages of my book, is that we really can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves. And, that, that, and, and I really believe that as parents regarding LGBTQ matters or anything in general. And so I really hope that you know this conversation inspires us as as caregivers for the next generation to really do the work in our own lives so that we can take them as far as we've gone ourselves and kind of change you know the experience for future generations the idea that there's an age at which it's too young to talk to children about uh gender identities uh sexual identities um is particularly interesting for those of us that uh, are queer and, and have kids, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so again, let's say you're in like a, you know, same sex relationship and you're raising kids. So the logic then would extend to being, okay, so you, are you just supposed to not talk about your relationship or the nature of it? Or, yeah. you know, so that's, it's kind of a, yeah, it kind of loses um, any sort of logic if you are supportive of LGBTQ yeah. uh, families and, and our right to have right. and raise kids. It's like, right. we're obviously needing to talk about, um, 
the nature of our relationship and how our families are different from an incredibly young age. Um, and yeah, so if we can do it, so can our brothers and sisters and parents and friends and colleagues. Um, yeah. And and it's critically important um, that they do, as you, as you uh, talk about very um, eloquently in your book. So how was your relationship with your uh, nieces and nephews now? And what kind of, you can kind of model what you did to kind of get them to uh, understand yeah. who you are and, and your identity. Yeah, so th- thank you. I appreciate that question because I really, um, I'm sure like a lot of your listeners who maybe aren't necessarily parents themselves, but like, I love being an uncle and I really, you know, God bless parents. Cause you know, I feel like, you know, it's no, parenting is no easy feat. And so I really appreciate the, the opportunity that I have as an uncle. Cause I think I've learned a lot about myself. And so this question that I'm, you know, that I talked about happened in 2015. And so it's been six years since my nephew asked that question. And so he was six, now he's 12. And so, I I say that because it's been a six year journey of me having conversations, talking to them. You know, this this book I wrote is is my experience of being an uncle and having the exact conversations that I write about in my book. And it's also my experience of teaching, working with kids, being in the classroom. And then I worked at a gay bar for 11 years. And so kind of seeing the effects maybe of not being able to have conversations and what that can sometimes turn into. Um, as far as like, you know, drugs and alcohol and that kind of thing. And so really my relationship with my nieces and nephews was strengthened by my nephew's question because it helped me to help them talk about their questions in like a safe space and a safe way and and to be able to know that I'm a safe person that they could come to because maybe their kids, like my, my, my niece as an example, she has a friend at school who's gay And so she was able to talk to me about that and talk about what his experience is like and, you know, the dress codes that they have at their school and how that kind of is uncomfortable for some of the kids. And so we're able to kind of have these conversations in a way that I don't know that would have happened before that my nephew asked that question because I just it was a blind spot. It was a blind spot that I had. And, you know, and it's it's I think going to only get harder for um, for our, our, you know, straight brothers and sisters and colleagues and friends to avoid having these conversations, especially so here I live in New York City and uh, friends of mine that have kids in uh, the school system here, you know, they are now introducing themselves with their gender, uh, preferred gender pronouns. It's a, you know, so if you are, if you haven't been raised around that or understand what that is, obviously you're going to come home and want to talk to your parents about yes. it. Many of whom are just as confused about it as their yeah. kids, yeah. right? So if you have, so it's a, it's this thing where it's a, I think it's a necessary education that a lot of um, the straight people in our life need to uh, take into consideration that they need to be getting a little bit of education about this. And that's um, obviously where your book is trying to come in. Yes. So let's walk through um, specifically some of the discrete pieces of advice that you give to um, uh, just anyone that's trying to uh, raise kids that are, you know, allies to the LGBTQ and, you know, broader community. Uh, and then we'll get a little bit into some of your advice specifically for uh, most of our listeners are, you know, likely gay dads. <laughs> yeah. So we'll yeah. get into some stuff that they can do to advocate as well. Yeah. 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 Thank you. I appreciate that because I think it's really helpful to have like specific things, you know, um, I think the first one, and I, I share this, and this may sound um, a little like lofty, but I, I really think it's important. To, and the subtitle of my book is called A Parent's Guide to Changing the Messages from the Playground. And the me- messages from the playground is an analogy that I use to talk about 
the dominant societal messages that we receive. So I guess the first real tip is that I invite people to consider that we've all, no matter who we are, where we come from, we've all played on the same playground. The, the, the youth that I work with right now today, I hear the same words that they use to make fun of other kids that were used when I was a kid. So yes, we've, we've changed and times are changing for sure. And we're part of a collective system that we pass things down generationally. And so it really, I think, takes a, a specific level of awareness to realize like, okay, we've all played on the same playground. So there are some messages that I receive that my kids maybe are receiving. And so I ask, you know, questions like what are things that kids, you know, call other kids at school or, you know, start to kind of have that open dialogue by asking questions with with kids. And a caveat to that is that just because they're unwilling to answer doesn't mean that we don't continue to ask the question. Because depending on what age or depending on comfort level, you know, sometimes, you know, well, I asked my kid a question and they didn't want to answer. And so I really invite people to consider that this isn't a one-time conversation. It's ongoing and often, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. So that would be maybe the kind of the first thing is just to be aware that like, and I think that also helps me to center the children's experiences of, of today's kids, you know, what they're, what they're going through and experiencing at school. Um, the second is to be mindful of like the questions that we do ask and, and, you know, am I perpetuating heteronormativity or am I perpetuating gender biases um, just by the activities that are I do in my household or, you know, and, and with same sex couples, like, you know, what, like what kind of gender biases am I maybe, can I help to um, expand um, by having conversations or just being, creating that space. So that would be the second thing is just to kind of be aware of what questions am I asking my kids, you know, just in the past one day, um, going to the grocery store, I went to Trader Joe's and just standing in line, I, you can hear the heteronormativity. You know, this man was talking to this woman standing in line and he asked her, you know, oh, so do you have a boyfriend? And I was listening to a video last night, a podcast, and he, he mentioned his partner and then the woman mentioned, oh, so your wife? And he goes, well, my husband. And so just kind of like being mindful of the conversations that we have around kids. Right. And, and kind of what we can perpetuate. And then the third is, and this is something I really believe strongly, is that as an uncle, I stopped getting my nieces and nephews gifts and I started to instead get them books. And so I really wanted to kind of incorporate ways that I can teach um, and, 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 to, and help them have the conversation even when I'm not there. Um, and so I started getting them LGBTQ friendly children's books. Um, and so that's something to be mindful of, like what toys am I getting? Like what, what activities am I offering for my children to do? Um, those kinds of things. Um, I work with, like I mentioned, young people and I can't tell you how many times I've heard young girls tell me who play sports that their parents don't go to their games. Um, but if they have a brother that also plays sports, how they always go to their games. And so it's kind of like, how can we change that experience for the young people today? So again, I think it's a very different experience if you are um, a straight and cisgender person raising children in New York or LA, and you know, more likely than not, you're, you're at least uh, exposed to the LGBTQ community, you have some base of knowledge. Uh, 
you know, it's it's not enough, as I think we've established, and I think there is more work that needs to be done. Uh, but let's say that you, you know, we've on Gaze with Kids, we've featured families from all over the country and world that are often in uh, rural areas where maybe they're the only gay family anywhere nearby, or that they definitely the only gay family within a school system. Um, so how would your advice differ for people that are maybe in a slightly more conservative area um, and they, you know, they, maybe they can't walk right in and just demand um, you know, all these changes or you know, people might not be as receptive, yeah. uh, for instance. Yeah. yeah. So how would, what kind of things could people take as a first step? Yeah, there? it's a it's a really good question. And I and I and it really does connect back to what I mentioned earlier is that we can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves. And so my willingness to do the work on myself in a way that will allow me to show up in a way that not necessarily like is going to be well received by maybe everyone, but in a way that allows me to be authentic. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book is values. I have an exercise that parents or caregivers can do with their young, their, their kids or the young people in their life on how to connect with their values, because I think our values are really important when it comes to these kinds of conversations. And especially if there are families who do live in rural, you know, communities, um, you know, I'm from Arizona there are some parts of the state that are very like this is not you know acceptable and i still have those conversations um and so i think that this is what's so i think great about having open and honest conversations with children at a young age is because we may not see the outside reflect back to us what we want but if we're really standing in our values that's what we're demonstrating to the kids in our lives and that, I think that's the most important is that if I come from a family and this is my family's values and this is what I want to instill in them, you know, kids are going to go to school and, and unfortunately bullying still exists. And so it's not that I can maybe prevent anything from occurring, but I can at least have conversations with my kid, check in with them, model them to them what it is like and what I can do. And also, like I mentioned, you know, look at my blind spots, look at what I may be, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable to assert myself because I don't want, you know, that goes back to my core messages from the playground of not wanting to be rejected or, you know, so I do, I do think that just by virtue of being a family, in a, a same-sex family in a rural community is sometimes going to require that you kind of do make those concerted efforts to kind of go against maybe the dominant messages that the community you know, has. I, I talk about heteronormativity is like, it's like humidity. You can't necessarily see it, but you can feel it. And it's like a force. And so to be able to stand in our authentic truth, not from a place of I need to prove, but from a place of this is my authentic self, I think that's, that, that's like energy that's received. And we may not see the results the next week or the next day, but we're teaching the young people in our life. You know, I've always thought it was really humid in a Trader Joe's, so that yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about your background. So you teach, like you've said, social and emotional uh, learning to youth. Um, what kind of got you into that line of work? What got you interested in doing that? Oh, gosh, that's that's a really big question. Um, so I'll kind of try and give you the short version is that um, so there's a book, a woman uh, named Louise Hay. I don't know if you've uh, heard of her, but she wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life back in the, the 80s. And she used to work with, um, specifically when the AIDS crisis first hit in Los Angeles. And so she used to do a lot of work with people who had been affected by, by the AIDS crisis and no one knew what to do. And so she would do a lot of healing um, works and like her whole message was about self-love. 
And so I read that book. I came across that book at a library about maybe six, no, like seven or eight years ago. And it completely just changed my perception of, of what I could do with my advocacy. Cause I've been an LGBTQ advocate for, since I came out of the closet. Like that's what I really, that's what brought me out to Los Angeles. And so I would, so reading her book, um, I, I was like, if I could, if I could help give this information to young people at a young age, then it could change the coming out process for a lot of, of young people, you know, the message of self-love and self-care. And so interestingly enough, a woman started an organization, social emotional learning with, with the principles of Louise Hay's teachings. And I did a teacher training here in, in Southern California. And so they were looking for uh, facilitators for this program. It's called Tilly's Life Center. And we teach, so that really kind of the merging of the, the two things. And so the curriculum that we teach is kind of based in this message of self-love. So that's kind of what really helped me started. So the, this, and just to kind of a caveat to that is that the, the curriculum is mostly taught at schools. And so when I came on board, it was very heteronormative. And so a lot of the work that I was doing in Los Angeles was at the LGBT center, working with homeless youth, working at Los Angeles Juvenile Hall to work with LGBTQ incarcerated youth. And so a lot of the lessons that we were teaching were kind of based in this heteronormative kind of boy, girl, like that kind of thing. And so I worked with them to kind of make it to where it's, it's like for every young person. I got to say, you're uh, putting to shame the other gunkles out there that are not devoting their lives to improving uh, the you know, lives of youth. <laughs> it's yeah. very impressive. Um, oh, so so again, your, your book is directed, I think, at everyone and, and how to help um, help them uh, kind of integrate this uh, technique of helping uh, raise children that will turn out to be LGBTQ allies. But, you know, so within our own communities, I think that we can take that lesson and extend it to uh, any number of things. Right. So if we are if we're two gay dads, maybe we need to be learning how to be better allies to the trans community. Uh, We need to learn how to be racial and gender advocates and allies um, ourselves and also uh, educating our kids to do that, too. So uh, what kind of uh, learnings can queer and trans parents who maybe read your book and, you know, can understand and hope, you know, we don't really have a choice but to do our best to make our children um, allies because um, it is the nature of our family. But uh, what can we do to take the learnings from your book and extend it um, to other areas? Yeah, I think that's a really great example. And if I could share, I think that this hopefully answers your question is that I recently had a parent, two parents reach out to me that they adopted, a do- not same sex couple, but ma- uh, male, female, husband, wife, they adopted um, a young child late in life. So they're both, they've had, three kids they raised them and this their child now is their adopted daughter's 13 and she's gone through a lot of challenges at school and so um they reached out to me because they they read my book and and one of the things that they both said is that i don't know if you've ever heard of the term bionormativity but it's it's something that speaks to um children who are adopted and so kind of ah. what kind of their experience of what the kind of biological family structure is supposed to look like. And so for her, a lot of her challenges have really come from going to school and seeing a lot of the parents who pick the other kids up, her classmates up from school and not looking like, like her family doesn't look like a lot of the other kids' families. And so she's gone through a lot of difficulties. And so I share that because they, they reached out to me and said that although they're their child to their knowledge isn't necessarily LGBTQ, 
they were able to incorporate the same understanding because I talk a lot about, I mentioned the messages from the playground. And so it helped them to see their daughter. Oh my gosh, like we understand now what this, what your challenge is, where, whereas before maybe it was more like, oh, she's being resistant or she's, you know, acting out. And, and so now she's in therapy and, and, you know, it was really like, eye-opening to see like, oh my gosh, this is what her experience is like living in a dominant culture with parents who maybe aren't as old as, or who are, her friend's parents are younger than her parents. Cause like I mentioned, they're older. Um, and so I, so to answer your question, I think that that's kind of how it really can apply to all parents. Because like I mentioned, children subconsciously are picking up the messages around them at school in their classrooms and and they are absorbing those and so i think it takes a concerted effort for the adults in their life to kind of like understand what their experience is like and then to do what we can to help facilitate because you know we can only do so much and you know to help facilitate maybe a, a, a just more empathy and compassion um, to help create that space because I really do believe that it's not the child's responsibility to teach us who they are. It's our responsibility to learn who the child is. Well, thank you again so much, Chris Tompkins, for being here. Um, the book, again, is Raising LGBTQ Allies, A Parent's Guide to Changing the Messages from the Playground. I think it will make a great uh, stocking stuffer this year for your <laughs> straight friends and family. Um, thanks again for being here. Everyone pick up a copy, and uh, we'll uh, hope to see you on a future podcast. Yes. Thank you so much, David. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks, Chris. Mm-hmm.